The advice and opinions expressed by the hosts of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Good morning and welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod. We're coming to you live this morning after the Oscars, this morning after we did the time change. Oh, lots to talk about, right? But we're going to spend very little time talking about that because we've got a great topic, I think, today. Our, my top 10 tips for teaching your child on the autism spectrum. I got a lot of asterisks uh, to go with that, but uh, just want to give you a, a, a quick rundown of a couple of things, and then we're going to get right to those tips. And hopefully it's going to make a, a sense to you in a way. People will often say to me, um, well, how did you do that with Jem? And how did you do this with Jem? Or why did you understand the ABA in a way that I didn't when I was doing it? I just want to say that I didn't always understand the ABA while we were doing it, but I asked a lot of questions and I was a former teacher. So the concept of teaching something to someone always has been of interest to me. And how do you teach something to somebody in a way that's efficient and effective, right? And preserves their dignity. I'm always concerned about that as well. And everybody learns differently. So I, I, that's always been an interest of mine. And I, I've only come to realize in the last couple of years that having a background as a teacher served me well because I had, but, but it isn't just that, just being a teacher. It was also that I had a background in acting in theater, which is a little bit of a problem solving thing in getting different kinds of students to get to different things. So those, those two things together helped me to have a baseline from which to ask the questions. And still, I didn't always get it. You know what I mean? So I, I put together these top 10 tips that would be things that I thought maybe wouldn't occur to you if you weren't a teacher or maybe aren't occurring to you that, oh, I could do it in a different way. And then I'm going to give you the jargon that goes with it so that you recognize when the teacher says, oh, we're doing this, you go, oh, it's that. But also your ABA people, when they say, oh, it's this, that you have an understanding, hopefully, when we're all done. That's what we're going to try to do today. So anyway, I'm Shannon Penrod, and I identify as a proud pony that is a parent of a neurodiverse individual. Those are the words that my, the, my loved one has said are the appropriate terms to use, not because I decided, but because those are the terms that he has said that I can use. My son was diagnosed with autism at the age of two and a half, and, um, and, and his journey is his journey, and I, I try to let him talk about his journey. Uh, oh, Sarwar, I'm so glad that you're here, and my pleasure to be here and doing this. But I also, it was a journey for me as a parent, and that is my journey, that is my truth, and so when we do these parent-to-parent talks, it is me talking parent-to-parent. Now, we always welcome everyone who watches this show, and, and we know from our demographics that if you're watching this show, you might be a person who is on the autism spectrum, and I want you to know that you are the beating heart of our community, and the beating heart of what we're trying to do here on this show and on Autism Network is to find ways to be of better support, really. I mean, that's, that's the long and the short of it. How can we be of better support? So we try to give uh, ample opportunity for individuals on the spectrum to have their voice heard here. 
to have their perspective heard here. Um, but we also try to help shore up parents who are going through both an emotional time and a time where they need practical tips, right? Both of those things. And to, when we can, help people who are support staff working with individuals on the spectrum, whether they be behavior technicians, BCBAs, doctors, pediatricians, uh, whatever. We, we want to help to all be better allies and better accomplices, to, as uh, Amy Gravino says. Um, Parker asks, will this tip session help with teachers? I think so. And, I, and part of my reason for wanting to do this is, uh, honestly, Parker, is that um, recently I had the opportunity to talk with someone who was sharing that they are going in and being um, a support staff occasionally, not full-time, in a preschool situation. And they had called me and said, you know, I have two individuals who are on the spectrum in this preschool, and they're just so different, and can you give me a couple of things that might help as a... And I was like, you know, um, I think there's a talk here, but a talk for everybody. So I hope that there'll be ample opportunity for people to apply what I'm saying in whatever it is that you're doing. And we're going to go through it more than once because, you know, my new thing is that I like to go through the top tips really fast for those of you who got someplace to be. And then we go back through it and I get more specific as we go through. Parker, I'm so glad you're here. Okay. Um, so again, our mission here, provide information and inspiration because, you know, if that's available, why would we not choose to do that is my thinking on that. I also want to remind you that we're starting to roll out a lot of press about the fact that we're going to be doing this podcast which I really think of. It's the Autism Network Podcast-a-thon, 44 hours nonstop live. And there's no way that we can do the 44 hours, uh, so we've called in reinforcements. And we have so many amazing guests and podcasters and organizations that are going to be helping out. They're doing takeovers for different hours, so it's going to be off the chain. First hour, who are our our guests? Obviously, it would be myself and Dr. Grampy Shea. Uh, co-hosting, but our our top, uh, you know, three guests in their first hour of the podcast-a-thon, Joe Montaigne, Holly Robinson-Pete, and Kobe Bird. Stop. Just stop. I want to transport to that hour because it's going to be so luscious. Uh, But right now, if you go to autismnetwork.com, if you're on the website, you see the little menu bar across the top, and there's a red box that says Podcastathon. You can click on that. It came to my attention that if you're doing it on your phone, you have to go to the three little bars to get to the menu. I am technologically challenged, so I did not know this. But you, if you guys don't know, you have to go to the three little bars, and you will see all these things listed, and the bottom one is Podcastathon. When you go to that website, that landing page, you will see that there are three additional boxes, just like the 44 nonstop live. There's three boxes that give you choices if you want to sponsor um, or I don't remember what the third one is. Um, Oh, a a list of who the sponsors are, which we're starting to populate. But then the one that's really important to you right now, and it's still being populated, but there's information there already. You can click on the button for calendar and you can see some of the hours uh, that we already, I don't have all the information about the people, but you can see who is going to be there during which hours. Anna, good morning. So you can start to sort of, you know, say, oh, okay, I guess I'm going to have to get up at two o'clock in the morning 
on the second day because I really want to see Swathi Chetapali do her autism awareness show that is very popular in India. You know? Um, or the following morning, uh, on the morning of the 6th, you might want to get up at 3 a.m. in the morning Pacific time because for the first time ever, we're going to show some clips from my one-woman comedy show, The Autism Monologues, and the director of that show is going to be here with me, and I'm going to be stupid tired by that point, probably drooling with my hair a mess. And then, of course, the last hour, you've got to tune in to the last hour because don't tell Dr. Grand Pichet, but uh, we're hoping to have some celebrity guests there. If, if we're going to raise some money throughout the hours that are Autism Live, hopefully for iPads, if we get enough money, then Dr. Grand Pichet is going to shave my head. She has said that she will if we make enough money to get some iPads in some people's hands. I want it to be for a purpose, right? But we're also going to celebrate her birthday, which is the following week in that last hour. So we're going to have some pretty amazing stuff happen because of that. So I'm whispering in case she can hear me. She's not even here and I'm whispering. Hope, don't tell her, don't anybody let her know because we want that to be a surprise. Okay. So there's the podcast-a-thon. Here's what you need to know. It's all free. It's all free. There's no charge to you. There will be things that you'll be invited to donate to because different organizations, different charities will say to you, hey, during this hour, here's something that if you choose to, you could donate to, but you don't have to. Um, and we're hoping, I, I got to get on top of this, but we're hoping to have some cool t-shirts if you want to buy a t-shirt, you know, uh, great, or a hat or whatever. Tell us if there's something in particular that you're like, oh, I'd really like to have a shopping bag. Let us know because um, we're figuring all of that out right now. I'm very excited about it because I feel that this is, I wanted to call it the information and inspiration extravaganza and everybody told me that that was impossible to say. So, so we're calling it the Autism Network Podcast-a-thon because that's not hard to say. Um, but it works. It works. I think it, it tells you a little bit more about what we're doing. It has to do with autism and it's podcasts and it's going to be long. So I, I was like, yes, no, that does make more sense. But in my brain, it's the information and inspiration uh, extravaganza. Uh, is this tax deductible, Parker says. Well, it's not, oh, if you make a donation? Uh, for some of the things, it absolutely will be uh, tax deductible. You know how you know is if it's a 501c3. So for instance, we're going to be taking donations for the iPads through Autism Care Today, Dr. Doreen's charity, and that absolutely will be tax deductible. Thanks for bringing that up because it's a 501c3, so your donations are... I think in order for for you to be able, I'm not good with taxes, Parker, so don't quote me, but I think you have to have donated a sum total of over $600 to charities before you can take a donate uh, a tax deduction on it. I think they I, I think they just include $600, but don't quote me on that. Don't quote me on that. And I think it could be across many um, charities across the year for $600. But again, not your accountant, not my accountant, right? <laughs> Not anybody's accountant, because I can't do that. Uh, but it is a 501c3, so it's eligible for tax-deductible status. Uh, Shannon bobbleheads, I would buy them if they were available. hope they will be sold. I hadn't thought about that. I said to Trayvon this morning, I was like, something's not, my bobblehead's not on the desk, because I can see it. It's across the studio. Um, it wasn't essential, but that's funny that you should say that, Parker. Um, I, uh, we'll look into that. I don't, I don't know anybody else besides you. I don't even think my kid or my husband would like a Shannon bobblehead, but if, but if it interests you, Parker, I will, I will look into it for you. Okay. 
So that's our news today. I do want to say, because uh, we haven't said this before, that uh, we're live right now. You guys can be writing in, obviously. I'm talking to Sarwar, Parker, and Anna. At, we're live right now on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, and about a dozen other sites. Did you already show them, Trayvon? I'm not sure. I wasn't there. There they are. He's going to show you on the screen. Hey, while we're talking... While we're talking about this, let me remind you that we love it when you guys watch live, but we know that many of you can't do that and you catch up um, on in podcast. We are now podcasting audio only um, on most of the plat- platforms that we're on. The exception is when we do stories from the spectrum because it's so visual. We just feel like you really need to enjoy it uh, by seeing that one. But for you know programs like today's, you can take it with you on a walk. I try to make sure that we talk enough about the things that you're seeing, although we encourage you to head over to YouTube and check us out there to see. Uh, we try to put interesting visuals uh, up for the, the different things that we talk about and, and check that out. But Traven's showing you all the different places that you can listen, download. We, our criteria here is that we try to be wherever we can be that you can get us for free. I, I, I fight constantly to make sure that the program is still free to you guys and that we put the cost on other things, which is why we have sponsors now. And we're looking for sponsors for the Podcast-a-thon. We've got great deals. If you know somebody who wants to sponsor for the Podcast-a-thon, we are, we are looking for sponsors right now. Um, and we hope that you guys are, you know, dealing with it. There are ads now on our stuff um, in when you see us in different places, even on YouTube, and that's because we're not charging you. Just want to be clear about that, um, that, that's, that that's why that is happening, and I hope you guys are sticking with us through that because it is a reality that we need to keep the lights on, Yeah. All right, Uh, I think it is time for us to very quickly go through these top 10 tips of teaching individuals who are on the autism spectrum. Here's the one of the, I said I had asterisks for you. Here's one of the first asterisks is that really these are the top 10 tips for teaching anyone. Um, that as a teacher, the, you know, these are things that I was taught to do to teach anyone on the spectrum, or anyone on the, on, uh, not on the spectrum, on the spectrum, anyone. These are, these are effective ways of teaching anyone. Okay, so let's get, and again, it's a parent-to-parent talk. I'm not an expert in autism education. I'm not. I, I have served on many committees. I have worked many different things. I have worked in the classroom. I only worked in the classroom, uh, well, that's not entirely true, but uh, I worked in the classroom before I had a child, and I had individuals who were in my classroom, but I didn't have an autism classroom. So there is my uh, disclaimer. Good morning to Liliana. Um, okay, I, I see what you're saying there, Parker. Let's let's be in contact about that, okay? Uh, okay, so let's get started here. We're, I'm going to go through the list very quickly, right? And then I'm going to go back and go through all of them for you. So number one, when teaching anyone anything, you should know where you're starting by finding out what do they already know. So super important. If you're going to teach anybody anything, and have you ever had the experience where you say to somebody, hey, can you help me with this? And they start explaining it from the beginning, but you're already on step four, and it's just frustrating. 
it's just frustrating. So you've got to know where they already are. We'll talk about how you find that out in a second. Number two, you have to know what the end goal is before you start teaching. If you walk into a classroom and just say, I'm going to teach you guys about this, and you don't have an expectation of, so when we're done, you should be able to know this, you might get there, but likely you won't. So you've got to know what the end goal is and what it looks like before you start teaching anything. <clears throat> you have to ask yourself, what will make the learning fair? We talk about this all the time. This was a piece that I didn't have when I was a teacher. Uh, you know, I mean, it was somewhere amorphous in my head, but Dr. Grampichet really has made this so clear to me that this is a key piece to teaching anyone anything. Um, you have to ask what will make the learning fair, and you can't decide it all on your own. I will tell you later how we do this with anyone, whether, whether communication is a deficit or not. We'll figure out how you can figure this out. Okay, number four, we have to give clear instructions. It's not fair if we're teaching somebody and we don't give clear instructions. It seems like a duh, but I'm going to get into granular how this works and how this doesn't work. Uh, reward all attempts uh, with the reward that the individual has chosen. This is how this becomes individualized. Uh, is that we're, we're going to give rewards for attempts, but we're going to reward them with what they chose to be rewarded with. Number six, we're going to give lots of opportunity to try. This is critical. We know this from all of the science, that if I say to you, if I'm going to teach anything, I have to give you lots of opportunities to try. And for people who are on the autism spectrum, I have to give even more opportunities than that. Why do we rehearse a play? Because you're given lots of opportunities to try and, and, and get a little bit better as you go along. So we're going to talk about that. Number seven, we need to give immediate feedback. If, you, if somebody does something and, and we don't immediately say, yes, that was it, or here, let's try this instead, it gets watered down in the teaching. So we're going to give immediate feedback. We're going to be like, yes, that's fabulous. Or here, try this, right? Shouldn't be negative, but it's immediate feedback right in the moment. Uh, okay, we're going to move the goalposts. This is something we talked about last week, and we're going to talk more about it, about how, you know, if we're going to start to teach something and, we, and we're going to reward uh, the attempt, right, in the beginning, if I am trying to get you to say bubble, in the beginning, I'm going to be excited when you say buh, because that's on the road to it, right? That's that attempt, and I'm going to reward that. But eventually, I'm going to move the goalpost, and I'm going to go buh, buh, right? I move the goalpost. And then eventually, I'm going to say buh, buh, right? And, and then I'm, then I'm going to try to say bubble all in one thing, right? I'm moving the goalposts but I'm rewarding the attempts and then saying, okay, you got that one. Now I'm just going to move it a little bit over. Works. It works. Um, then number nine is we're going to practice it in different circumstances. 
this is such a no-brainer, and yet we don't think of it. That uh, because I always worked with actors before, and it was uh, maddening to me that actors would go home, they would learn the bathtub, they'd get in the bathtub, and they would learn their lines in the bathtub, and they could do the lines in the bathtub perfectly. They would show up rehearsal, and they'd go, "I don't know, I had it in the bathtub, but I don't have it here." And I would always say, "Well, this is not the environment of the bathtub." You know, you got people in your face who are saying things that you're not all relaxed. This is why we rehearse, right? Because we have to do it in different circumstances. And I would send them home and say, okay, learn your lines in the bathtub, but then go make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich while you're doing it. So when they would say to me when we were practicing with my son, they would say, okay, he has this skill here, but now we need to make this happen in the real world. I understood it because I already had been through this with acting students. Okay. And then number 10, we're going to keep rewarding with the reward of, our, of their choice. A lot of times people go, oh, I asked them what they wanted to work for, and now we're six months later, and I'm still giving the same reward. I don't understand why it's not happening. Well, we need to keep rewarding, but we need to reward with the reward of their choice, which means you've got to keep asking. So those are our top 10 tips. We're going to reset that. Um, and we're going to go back to the beginning, and we're going to tear this sucker apart. It may not seem earth shattering to you, all of these things, because sometimes, very often, the elegant things are not as complicated as we make them out to be. And I really want to say that the education world makes this as complicated as they can get. And they put so many alphabets, and we're, you know, we're calling it this, and they come up with these names for these things. And I'm going to tell you what the names they come up with. And the ABA world, no different. It's like, how complicated can we possibly make this? But this is the core of teaching anyone anything. And by the way, this has been found to be very effective teaching individuals who are nonverbal, verbal, partially verbal, uh, individuals who have intellectual disability on top of other things. This is what works. Now, within this, you have to individualize, of course. But if you have these 10 core things and are mindful of the individual's needs and their sensory needs, you are going to have success. It may be slow going but you're going to have success. Okay, so let's go back to the beginning and say, let's know where we're starting. What do they already know? So in, a, in the ABA world, they call this a baseline. Uh, and in the education world, they call this a pre-assessment. <laughs> you go, okay, what, do, what we're trying to figure out is what do you know where should we start teaching this? Now, if you're not a teacher, you may not know what questions to ask to find out where the individual is. And you may not know the progression of the lesson. And there are lots of things out there that can help you to do this, lots of people who can help you to do this. But if you're already working with someone, I would guess that as a parent, there are things that you could say right now, I'd, I, here, if I said to you, what skill do you wish that your child had? Um, please write in and say if you have something that you'd like me to specifically talk about. But I know a lot of the times you guys will talk about language, that you want to get to conversation, that you want to get to the point where it's not just labeling that you'd like to get to conversation. Okay, well, this is if, if your child has the ability to utter sounds then we can work towards conversation. 
Is everybody going to end up in the same boat? No, right? But you can get to the point where you're having volleys of exchange back and forth. Might it take one parent six years and it might take somebody else six weeks? Yeah. But I think as a parent of a child who was not speaking and I was told, I don't know that you're ever going to get there. Um, when somebody said that to me, they were like, it might take a long time, but you can get there. But, you know, little things at a time. Walk up that mountain one step at a time. This is that thing that I was saying the other day with Dr. Grampiche that when you go to climb a mountain, you look at the top, you see the top, it's intimidating as all get out, right? But you have to start by putting one foot in front of the other. It's great to have it in your mind where you're going because that keeps you directive, right? But you got to focus on the road and taking a step and taking a breath and taking a step and taking a breath. That's the only way to the top. So we start with where we are. So if your child can only go, uh, that's where you start. If your child can say more, that's where you start. If your child can say more apple, that's where you start, right? But there are so many places where you can get information about how you shape language, including the show. We've done so many videos on this, right? But it's important to start where they are. Um, okay, uh, Anna says, use his hands to write letters. That's a very interesting statement, Anna. Is he using something else to write letters? Um, is he, is he, you know, because some kids uh, try to spell with their feet or want to hold a pencil in their feet, and you just made me think, is that a possibility? Um, okay, so we, where are we exactly with him? Is he able to, because let's go through the progression. Is he able to take, there's a thing called the pincer grasp. Is he able to pick up a Cheerio with, or a raisin with the thumb and this finger? Because if he's not able to do that, that is where we would start with writing with your hands. First, you have to have the pincer grasp, and then you have to have the tri-grasp. Uh, so he can do that. Okay, great. So we're not going to teach him that. This is how we know what the, what the baseline is and where do we start teaching. Can he, is he yet able, when he holds a crayon, does he hold it like this? Or is he able to hold it with a tripod grasp? Is that something that he is able to do? Um, Sarwar, I see that you're saying uh, that, uh, that he did ABA 35 hours a week before he started pre-K when he got one-on-one -on -one attention. I love that answer. But before that, you say, my son, four, uh, four years, three months, uh, is in special ed ABA pre-program, two-to-one student staff. He does about six to eight hours uh, weekly. Congratulations, you're getting it done. Do you feel like he's making the progress that you want to make? Um, okay, so he holds it this way, Anna says. And write back to me, Sarwar. Um, okay. So what we need to do is start getting to the tripod grasp. Now, there's a couple of different ways that you can do this. And one of the things that I would recommend that you do, now you know what the words are, tripod grasp. You can go on Pinterest, and they'll have a ton of different activities that work on tripod grasp. Uh, but there's a couple, couple that are favorites of mine, but it depends on your child. Uh, and these should only do supervised. But... Uh, 
a lot of times what happens is we get the big fat crayons for our kids and the kids hold them this way, right? It's time to retire the big fat crayons. They need to get put in a little, you know, box someplace and put them away. And you're going to go buy a cheap set of crayons and you're going to peel the paper off of them and you're going to snap them until they're small. And we had a little box, like a, a little itty bitty tackle box where he could put he liked to arrange them, and we would play matching games, like put all the colors the same, but they're little pieces of crayon that they're this long. And then we're going to sit down together and have it be a really reinforcing time, get a picture of something that he really wants to color. You sit in color with him, but now he can't, the crayons are too little. He can't pick them up that way. So he will start to try to, and you're going to help form his fingers so that he can do the tripod grasp. Now, I will also tell you that there's another exercise that builds these muscles, but it, you really have to uh, do active supervision during it. You, get, you, get, you can go online and print out or just go to the dollar store and buy a coloring book that's his favorite thing. And you take a piece of construction paper and you put um, the color, you rip the page that he wants to the design that he likes, and you sit down on the carpet or you get a carpet sample from a store, right? They, they'll charge you like five to 10 bucks for that. But so you lay on your bellies, both of you, and you have push pins. Now here's the part where you have to supervise, right? Because these are a choking hazard and we don't want kids mouthing those or sticking those in their mouth. But you give them the push pin and the push pins have that little top on them, right? The, the only the way that you can hold them without getting stuck is holding them there. So you, you each have your design. So again, it is the paper, the coloring book paper, a piece of construction paper, their favorite color, right? And there is carpet underneath, either the carpet in your apartment or you got a piece of carpet, right? And you lay on your bellies. So we're also, what we're working on is core strength with this because this will help them to be able to sit up because that's sometimes a big problem for our kids with the handwriting. And you have one push pin each of you and you teach them to poke through the lines every, you know, just space them a little apart um, of the design. And you can have it, you know, pleasant music playing. I like classical music personally for doing these kinds of things and have it very low so it's in the background but not too sensory overloading. And you poke through. Now here's the big reinforcer for this is that when, and you might have to do it fast so that they can see what the reinforcer is. When you're done, you take the, the paper away that was the coloring book and you have just the construction paper and you hold it up to a lamp in the room and it has the silhouette of the design that they did. And now suddenly they're like, oh, I created art. And, they, and you put it on the window so that in the morning it shines through. But what you've effectively done is worked on core strength because they're laying on their bellies. They have to sort of hold themselves up to be able to do it. But you're working on that pincer grasp. I love it. And it is a very fun exercise that they like to do. And they can see the fruits of their work and praise them heavily when they do it. But that's, if, if they don't have the pincer, pincer grasp, but they do have, they do have the pincer grasp, excuse me, but they don't have the tripod, that's a place to start. But don't leave it off there. Go and look on Pinterest and see all the things that they have for pincer grasp. I keep saying pincer grasp tripod grasp is what I want to say. He's already got the pincer grasp. This is a perfect example of knowing where they are, 
What do they already know? Where do we jump in on this skill and teach it um, so that we're not boring them? Okay. Star Wars says the school would like to include him in their summer program, but I would like to do full-time uh, ABA. And he is, I think you said four. Yes. Um, if I would make sure that your ABA provider can staff it. I would not say to the school just yet, I would say, okay, you know, we're thinking about it. We're, you know, they're going to push you to say, to commit that you're coming. Uh, it's that thing about you want him involved in an intensive program. I would absolutely choose your ABA program in a heartbeat. It's better for him to be there over the summer. He's going to get much more done over the summer than he would be in a school summer program. The problem is everybody has a shortage of therapists. So I would hedge your bets and say yes to your ABA program. We want to do the summer program. How many hours can you staff? And I would not say no to the school until you have a firm commitment from your ABA provider um, to do as many hours as possible. Star Wars says, I feel like ABA one more important versus school. What do you think? Yep. At that age, absolutely. I, I do not want to send him to summer school. I want him to get one-to-one ABA. I agree with you completely, Sarwar. Uh, Jasmine says, my son gets bored easily and just walks away when doing activities. What can I do? Well, uh, d- depending on the individual child, you're going to have to try a bunch of different things. But first of all, it's got to be fun. It's got to be fun and it's got to be exciting, which means you got to be giving lots of reinforcement. Now, if it's a child that enjoys praise, like let's, first of all, if we're doing the thing that I was just saying where we're laying on our bellies, it's, it's really, well, it's hard for me to get up. It takes them a second to get up, but they can go and do other things. But you want to make it exciting. Like what else is going on? Think about how you go through a task that's really boring. I used to love to watch my mother when she was going to do the taxes that, you know, she would have her chewing gum, her, her cigarettes because she smoked. She would have, you know, jelly beans and, you know, the music that she wanted on the stereo and her papers all aligned because that's the only way she could get through doing the taxes. So what are we doing for this kiddo to make it exciting? Um, and, and again, let's start where they are. So... I would right now say, how long does it take before he gets bored? And I would watch that a couple of different times and go, okay, he's getting bored at 17 seconds in. That means at 15 seconds, I got to give him some sort of a reinforcer. And then as we were about to talk about in a second, when we talk about moving the goalposts. So if I'm, I'm going to start with a baseline because what I'm doing now is I'm building his ability to focus and his ability to withstand something that's boring, right? So I'm going to have my little uh, watch buzz every 15 seconds for myself so that I don't forget, right? And then this is what we do as teachers, right? Um, we, we go, okay, baseline is 17 seconds. I'm going to get there beforehand. So I'm going to reinforce him every 15 seconds. And, when, and, and now we're able to do something a little bit longer. Okay, so now I'm going to move it to 17 seconds. And I'm going to reinforce it 17 seconds. And then I'm going to try 18. I'm not going to jump to 26. We do this a lot, right? As parents, we go, well, if he can do that, maybe he can. No, 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 be successful. I'm going to push it just a little bit at a time. It's funny, today is the day we're dealing with daylight savings time here, and we're all thrown off. We are all a mess. 
all of us. Like there, there will be more accidents today than any other day except the other day when we changed the clocks. Why is that? Because we've changed the light by 59 minutes and we're all thrown off by it. The light changes by a minute and a half every day and we don't even notice it. But we don't handle the 59 minutes. It takes us a week to get over it. Don't do that to your kiddos. Move it just a little bit, that minute and a half thing. So move it like a second at a time and see if you can get him to focus for longer periods of time. I get bored too, you know? Um, so keep, keep him, and, and there are going to be different ways that you're going to reinforce, right? Which we're going to talk about here in a second. But we got to know where we're starting, which means you need to take that baseline that they talk about, have a, a stopwatch and see, you know, when we're doing this task, it may be one thing he can go 27 seconds. Something else he can go five minutes, right? But take a baseline on it, and the baseline helps you to know this is when I need to jump in and reinforce. This is how we're going to stretch this pizza dough. Does that make sense to everybody? Okay, moving on to the next one. we got to know what the end goal is before we teach, right? So uh, in teaching, in the education world, this would be what is the standard we're trying to meet, hate that language. In the ABA world, they talk about how will this generalize. So when we're done teaching this, what will it look like? That's all that they're saying, you guys. When this is done, if I'm going to teach potty training, when it's done, when we're all the way done with it, what will it look like? Well, it'll look like they can go to the bathroom in any place in the world and be able to toilet themselves successfully. That's a really important point because if I'm going to, if I, if I say, oh, well, I'm going to teach him to go to the bathroom in any place in the world, then I should be mindful of that when I start teaching and not just teach it in one bathroom, right? That's what's key to generalization. But if, if I'm teaching anything, let's say that I'm, I'm teaching brushing teeth. And if I say to myself, what is that going to look like in the end, that means that they're going to effectively brush their teeth and they will put the cap back on. I know I'm talking about a, a world that's insane to all of us, right? But realistically, if I know what my goal is, I can set up a lesson that takes us all the way through that and not be disappointed. So often we teach something and we go, well, you know, he can do this part of it, but now I wish he would just put the cap back on the... <laughs> Right? Well, if we said from the beginning what it looks like is that then we would start to teach that, and maybe not in the beginning, but we would know that that is step 42 on this step of 60 things. Hi, Gemma. Um, so you really got to ask yourself, what does it look like? So for Anna, you're saying, I, I would like for him to be able to use his hands to write. And I, and I think we should take just a second to go, what does that look like? Is the goal that he can write at the speed of everyone else so that when he's in seventh grade, he can take Cornell notes? Is the goal because we want him to be able to cursively write his hand? Like, it, you know, and you can have more than one goal, right? But I think it's good to know where the top of the mountain is before you start heading up the mountain because you, you can go in the wrong direction sometimes. So I think that this is super important to know. What's the end goal? What does it look like if we've gotten to the promised land? Because then you can sort of work back and you'll be mindful of, all right, right now I'm just going to teach him how to go to the bathroom in this bathroom, but by George, the minute he's got it here, let's move to the target bathroom. You know? Um, I... 
Yes, Anna, I see he's in kindergarten right now, and so there are probably big demands that they're putting on him. I didn't see if you put um, write, writing letters for sure. Oh, okay. Have you ever heard of wiki sticks? Wiki sticks are these, they look like pipe cleaners, but they, they're covered in wax. Wiki, wiki sticks actually gave us some stuff once upon a time that we were giving out at, um, at an event. Wiki sticks are great. Uh, it's a little time intensive, but for instance, when we were teaching my son how to write his name, uh, eventually we found out that he had an eye coordination problem and that was what was making it harder for him. And if you see that you're really struggling with this, you might want to take him to a developmental ophthalmologist and get that checked. Like if you see his eyes vibrating when he's trying to focus them someplace, don't hesitate, go get that appointment. Um, but my son, we didn't know that at that time. And so what our behavior technicians would do, because that this was a thing on his list of things that he needed to learn, they would come in and they would take little wiki sticks and they would form the letters of his name. And his name was easy, J-E-M. And um, so it didn't take a long time. But so, so that it was like a hollow version of his name because it, and then they would stick it to the paper and it gave him a place to practice where he was always successful because all he had to do was stick his pencil in the groove between the wiki sticks and go J and then he would do the E and the M and he strengthened muscles while doing it but it was very reinforcing and he could do it over and over and over again with the J and the E and the M and he could do it with different colors and at the end of the session they would always peel off the wiki stick and go look what you did you wrote your name dude give me high five right? Very reinforcing. He was building the muscle. He had lots of opportunity. I'm doing it with the wrong grasp. But um, there's also a bunch of OT things that you can get to also help with the pincer grasp too when you're doing it with bigger things. There are little things that help them to hold their fingers in the right place. Um, super fabulous. Uh, okay. Um, okay. Uh, but know what the goal is before you start teaching so that you're clear on where are we going and know why. Why is this important? Well, you know, we want people to be able to write their names. We want people to be able to answer questions. Can I tell you though, Anna, that at a certain point in second grade, we went, the handwriting thing is really hard and we now know that there's a visual thing. We're not going to give up on it. We're never going to give up on it, but it's slowing up other skills. And so we gave him a keyboard. We gave him a keyboard and we put it into his IEP that he got to uh, respond to any worksheet that they gave him. If they gave him a worksheet and it said, you know, number one, and there was a fill in the blank, he would type into his little things and print it off and go, number one, the answer is this. And that was amazing. When we finally got to that point, we were like, we're not going to we're still going to keep working on that, but we're not going to slow it up. And now my son is in a screenwriting program. My son who could not write. Could not write. Um, okay. So uh, how about waiting your turn, patience, and how to make friends? Um, oh, okay. And I see you said his name is super long. Well, you know, does he have a nickname or, um, or can we somehow shorten it? Remember that what we're doing right now is we're building muscles... <coughs> And the idea that it's reinforcing. Maybe, you know, each session we only work on one letter so that, uh, and we stick it to the paper so that eventually it says all the letters in his name. Okay. Um, or, I, you know, 
I don't know if he has a nickname or not. Uh, but Parker says, how about waiting your turn, patience, and how to make friends? Again, we start with, okay, what, what is the skill that we really want to have? This is a lot there. So we would work on one thing at a time. How about waiting your turn? Um, and, and there's a little bit of patience involved in that, right? So where are we right now? If, if uh, the child is talking to mom and says, you know, wait, wait, you know, can the child do it with mom? Or can they, you know, not do it even with mom? Because then we would start with mom and, and we would see how long can they wait? Can they wait a second? If they can't wait a second, then that's our baseline, right? So now we need to get them to two seconds we got to make it really reinforcing for them. So if their favorite thing is chocolate chip cookies, we're going to break a piece off of the chocolate chip cookie and we say to the child, do you want a chocolate chip cookie? Okay, we're going to count to one and then you can get the cookie. Can you say one? Good job, you got the cookie. And then the next time, if they're doing that and that's fine, we go, okay, do you want the cookie? Okay, we're going to count to two. You ready? We're going to count to one, two. You got the cookie. Good waiting. You were waiting. You did such a good job. Dude, high five, right? Now we go to three and, and we make it fun. All right, okay, you want a piece of cookie? Okay, we're going to do the cookie, but let's count to three before we're going to wait and we're going to count to three. Ready? One, two, three. You got the cookie, dude, right? And then eventually we would say, okay, we're going to count, but we're just going to count in our head. Right? So we would move the goalpost along to do that. And then eventually we would say, okay, you know, we would go someplace and, and wait in line, like at the bank, and we'd say, what are we doing? We're waiting. You're doing such a good job. What can you do when you're waiting? And we would go through what are the, some of the things that we can do while we're waiting, right? But you're constantly languaging and saying, dude, you did such good waiting. And we reinforce, we reinforce, we reinforce. Um, and you could do that with, I mean, that's, waiting is teaching patience, right? But then the how to make friends, whoo, that's a whole list of things, right? <laughs> the whole list of things. But taking your turn would be one of the things on the list of things to do for friends. Hafsa says, uh, what can you suggest for a child who has difficulty of writing? No attention, no interest, he is eight, thank you. Yeah, well, writing is not going to be interesting to him, but then I would take it outside and work it on something else. We want to still develop those hand muscles. That's, can they do the pincer grasp? Because if we're trying to teach handwriting and the child can't pick up uh, a raisin, then we're not going to get there. We have to go back. That's why I say, where are we starting? So what, Hafsa, write to me and say, what are the skills that they can do? Parker says, at 25, I still have a hard time with waiting, especially at restaurants. Well, Parker, I would, I think we all have a hard time doing that. Um, nobody loves to wait at a restaurant, but m maybe it's because we haven't found something to do with that time. When I was in gra graduate school in Denver, there was a restaurant, I think it still exists, it was called Mile High Pizza, and they, uh, m you buy pizza by the pound. It's crazy thick, doughy crust, but it takes forever. You go to this restaurant and it takes for, you have to order your pizza, and I mean it's like an hour and a half wait. I don't, I don't completely understand, but it's worth it. That's all I can say. But it was fascinating to see what people in the restaurant do because it was before cell phones. People would bring cards or board games, and they would so they would go, set up in a booth, and they would start playing Risk or something like that. Um, so my thing to you, Parker, is that in that moment of waiting, it's a void. 
right? What can you do? What's super fun for you while you're waiting? What I see people doing all the time when they're waiting is they're on their phones because that's really reinforcing to them. It may not be to you, but what else could you do? We used to bring a zipper bag for my son that was all zippers that my mother had made for him because he loved to open a zipper. And every zipper opened a different pouch where we had different things. We had little wind-up toys. We had silly putty, things like that. Um, but what would make it fun for you to pass that time? Because that's all that's really happening, Parker, is that it's time that you're having to pass to wait for your food, which is very reinforcing. So what else could you have with you, the phone or music or something to pass that time for you? Uh, JN B stuff says ABA or any other therapy is met with extreme resistance. Therefore the therapy is halted. He's eight and will not leave the home. Um, well, I, I mean, if we think about this logically, right? If somebody comes and I'm in my little world and I'm, you know, I'm watching my program and I'm very happy. And somebody comes in and goes, oh, you know, I'm gonna turn your program off and I'm gonna, you know, do all these things that are not what you wanted to do. I wouldn't wanna do it either. I, I mean, is there anybody who's listening who's like, oh yeah, that sounds good. On a Sunday afternoon, if I'm in my time and somebody comes in and says, I'm gonna teach you something that I don't really care about, would any of us go, yeehaw? No. So I, I'm going to say, uh, Jan, be stuff and things, um, that the people who are showing up at your door haven't made it fun enough for him. And I, and I also want to say to you that when, when they started with my son, my son was the same way. He was in his own little thing and he didn't want, and he, you know, he was young, he was two and a half. And I was like, Oh, how's this going to work? But they came and for weeks, all they did was play with him. And, and while they were playing with him, they were teaching him sort of the give and take of things. And, and sometimes they would, I've talked ad nauseum on the show about how Peter Farrick would play with him and then he would freeze. And my son would be like, play with me again. And, he, and so he had to like communicate to Peter, play, play, play. Um, you know, there's something your son loves. I'm assuming son. Um, uh, there's something that he loves and, and they've got to meet him there first. So I would, I would go back to your team and say, um, how can we make this as fun as possible and build rapport first? Uh, and, and he's a big kid, 125 pounds, um, and has meltdowns in public. I, I would, I'm going to guess that there's sensory issues there. So you know what I want you to do, JNB stuff? I need to know where you are. You say that you've got Medicaid and that um, we're back on a wait, they leave and then you're back on the waiting list. Uh, it's not fun, uh, it's bad ABA, plain and simple. I agree with you if they're not prioritized. And, but it gets dicey at eight. Like people aren't always trained how to deal with an eight-year-old. Um, okay, so he really likes the tablet, that's great. You know what I want you to do in the meantime? Uh, I think it's still available. Skills had an app. Uh, it was called, what was it called, Traven? Discovery? Camp Discovery. And, I, and it was free. Do me a favor and go online and see if you can get that app. And see if he'll play with that app. Because it's a language building app. 
um, that was developed by people at CARD, and, um, and it was good, and it was fun, and it was very effective. See if he'll play with that first, because that will set up a sort of rhythm that's good ABA while you're looking for somebody. But I don't, I don't know where you are. I, I need to know if you are in Southern California. Because uh, I'm hoping that you're in Southern California because I have an answer for you. But if you're not in Southern California, I would have to go looking for an answer. The app name is Camp Discovery. I'm not sure that it's still available, but I'm hoping that it is. Um, and I'm very sorry. Oh, you're in Reno. Okay, I'll have to go look. Do me a favor and email me and I'll see if I can find some resources there for an eight-year-old. It gets hard at eight. I'm not going to lie to you. It gets very hard. Uh, okay, Washaw County. Okay, uh, but email me, Shannon at autism-live.com. Okay, Hobsa said he's able to hold a pencil. We are following the Sensible Pencil handwriting program, which I'm not familiar with, but might be fabulous. Uh, we are stuck on pre-writing stage. His lack of interest worries me. Well, don't let it worry you, but ask yourself what would it take for this to, in fact, I'm going to go on to the next one which is ask what will make the learning fair. And now in uh, ABA parlance, this would be a preference assessment that we're going to, we really want to ask the individual, okay, we're going to ask you to do these pre-learning, uh, pre-writing uh, exercises. And I don't think anybody wants to do them, right? No, you know, who goes, woohoo, I get to get up this morning and do pre-writing exercises. Nobody, ever. Um, but we're going to make it worth his while. We're going to give him a paycheck for it, but we're going to let him choose the paycheck. Now, there are lots of different ways to do a preference assessment. And in that app that I was just telling you about, Camp Discovery, um, it, it has all these things that will appear on the screen, and they just touch one. And then the things move around, and they get to touch another one. And, you know, like one is a duck, one is swirling swirls, one is rain. I don't know what they are, right? Um, but if they're constantly chucking, checking the duck, then the app says, you like ducks. You're, today, in this moment, you like ducks. And so whenever they do something, it'll present a duck and go, woo, and it has a little mini game with ducks, right? <laughs> we need to do this in real life. So, you know, what does your son like? Uh, what does he want? And this is what he gets when he does the pre-writing thing. And, and what kinds of things does he like? Like, um, for instance, if your kid likes praise, and some kids do, and we want to be adding praise to everything that we give so that eventually they like praise, right? Some kids love to be squeezed and hugged, right? Other kids love it when we whisper. And some kids love it when we go, woo, right? It's all individual. But we're going to find something that he likes and pair that with the, the pre-writing stuff, right? And we're going to give a great reward at the end. In, and we're going to include praise in that as well. So if your child likes it when you're sitting there with them and you're close with them and you're hugging them, then you sit close with them while they're doing the pre-writing and you're hugging them and giving them that, that immediate physical feedback. I, I've told before about the BCBA, I know that she just did not believe in Kool-Aid, thought that it was like artificial colors and sugar and didn't want Kool-Aid in her house, but she wanted her kids to be able to really come home, sit, do their homework, and enjoy their homework. So every day they would come home and there would be a pitcher of lemonade on, and it was only there while they were doing their homework, never there and under any other circumstances. Um, and her kids, you know, one of them's graduating high school. Um, 
so uh, you got to make that pre-writing stage fun. It, I, like, I literally am saying to you, what would it take? We used to do a thing with spelling with my son in the car. Uh, we would be driving to Disneyland, but it would be like, okay, we got to go through the spelling words and, and we got to get all the spelling words right before we get to Disneyland because we're going into Disneyland. Well, that's not enough to... Honestly, going to Disneyland wasn't enough to make it worthwhile to do the spelling stuff. So we had to come up with something different. So we had those little seaweed crackers that he absolutely loved. And so I would crack open the, the and I would go, all right, spell the wor- word uh, cable. And and so he would spell the word, word cable. And, and then if he got it right, I would go, and I would give him the, the seaweed cracker and he would laugh because I was being a doof. And he would eat the, the seaweed cracker. So And we would go, good job, right? But I sang the song and, and he would eat the seaweed cracker. Now, I always thought it was the seaweed cracker that was getting it done. And one day I like had a cold and I was like, ugh. And, and he was like, you're not doing the song. I'm not doing it if you're not doing the song. It was really the song that was, because it was mom being a doof, which normally didn't work for other things. Whatever it takes. You got to blow up a balloon and have it make a fart noise. Every time he writes one, do it. Do it. But ask him and notice what it is that he does. Can I tell you that eventually the, the spelling thing, the, it wasn't enough to mom to do the thing, and it was, wasn't enough for the seaweed cracker, but you know what did work? There is an app, there, not an app, there's a game called Scribble Knots. And my son learned how, to, learned how to spell. He spells better than me, which almost everybody does. But it was a game, and it taught, it taught spelling. Because if you don't get the spelling right, it, w- it won't pass you to the next level. Um, so there you go. It has to be fun. Uh, JNB stuff, is it possible that our kiddos could literally be bored with initial evaluation or the testing to collect the data that presented at first because it's the process of a new provider? I mean, of course. Of course that's boring to them. There's because What's in it for them? There's nothing in it for them. They're in there being tested and it's not fun. Now I know people who do testing and it's super fun for the kids. And there's toys and they're playing with the toys and they go from this toy to this toy and they're doing the assessment that way. Not everybody has that skill. It's so sad to me that not everybody has that skill. But yeah, no, our kids are born. Listen, they have an active world going on in their heads, just like you do. And if you think about, like, especially if you're a creative person, like we have active things going on in our heads all the time. And if something isn't exciting, we'll go into that active world. Well, our kids have that going on all the time. And if we don't present something that's worthwhile to them, then they will stay in that active world. And who could blame them? We could not blame them. And we don't want to rip them out of that world. We want to invite them to be in this fun, exciting place where we are with them. It's an invitation. Uh, Music is amazing and all ways to communicate, I agree. Monster Word, great app for spelling, wonderful. Okay, Uh, that's what I'm thinking. They don't listen. He's so smart, but always the resistance. uh, Some sick of hearing. It's the process. Yeah, look for somebody else. You know what I mean? It's got to be someone who's excited to work with your kid and gets your kid. And there's very small, it doesn't, it's not this huge thing. I love, uh, there's a the woman I know that uh, she does spaghetti arms with kids that she'll be like, how are you? And she'll, you know, she'll, and she 
it's honest, right? And she'll go and she'll, if they're getting bored, she goes, let's do spaghetti arms. And she'll take their hands and go like this. So that and she goes, woo, spaghetti arms. And then they're back on, on track. And the kids, and then they'll go back to doing the thing. And then the kid gets a little off, off focus. She goes, let's do some spaghetti arms. It doesn't have to take a whole lot to keep them involved, right? That's not going to work for all kids, uh, but for some. Okay, we got to move on here. So you have to ask. Now, remember with a baby, you can set up three stuffed animals in front of a baby and see which one they pick up. Well, then that's the one that they want right now. It's not the one forever, but it's the one for right now. You can literally show your child a picture of three things, and you don't do it just once, right? Because if I put three things out in front of the child and they choose the phone, I go, okay, maybe it's the phone that they want over the pen and the glasses, right? But now I got to switch it up and put the phone over here. And if they keep going to the phone, well, then I know they want the phone. And I didn't have to uh, have them fill out a form. I didn't have to ask them and have them respond verbally, right? Although I can. I can also show them pictures on an iPad and, and say, dude, which one of these would you like to have when we're done working? Um, and a lot of people say, which one do you want to work for? I know that's offensive to a lot of people. It's just a shortcut to say, how am I going to reward you today? Which paycheck would you like? That's really what we're saying. Imagine if your boss said to you, which paycheck would you like? Because some people want Fridays off and some people want more money and some people want it all. You know what I'm saying? Okay, moving on. Uh, we've got to give clear instructions. This is the part that drives a lot of people crazy because when you see somebody working with a child who is struggling with language, a lot of times it looks really weird. I Somebody recommended over the weekend, there's something called Miss Rachel. Have you guys heard of this, Miss Rachel? It's a, it's a thing on YouTube. You can find these videos, and it's a woman, and it's just for babies to build language. Um, and it's very interesting. You should go and watch them. And if your child is at that stage, I highly recommend them. But if your child is at an older stage, it's not going to be your thing. But every, everybody who watches is going to go, why is she talking so funny? Cause she goes, can you wave? You can wave. Good job. And it's like, why? Um, because she's speaking in a way because we're at this stage of the program. She's not going to talk that way to 14-year-olds. You know what I'm saying? It's just like when you're learning a language and, and you're in a foreign country and you don't know what something is and somebody goes, agua, right? They're pointing so that you know, I am pointing to this thing and the thing that is in there, I am calling agua. You call it water. I'm calling it agua so that we're clear. Don't get in the whole thing of why I remember somebody would say in the beginning said to my son touch car and I went oh gosh <laughs> what have we done this is not going to work I want him to go to college and we're touch car in this strange weird voice but it's step one of millions of steps and we need to be clear this is what we do when we're trying to be clear with someone um you know, if I am the traffic director and I'm saying to the person in the car and I'm not able to go up to the window and go, hi, what I'm going to want you to do is turn left. I, I need to stand there and, and go and I'm going to repeat it and I'm going to do it very specifically so that they know you're going and I might go, you left, you left, right? That is what we do when we are making 
instructions clear. Don't be afraid of it. Go watch Ms. Rachel. Uh, Jay, uh, these stuff says, I want her energy, Ms. Rachel. She's so happy. Yes, it's wonderful. Uh, check it out, you guys. Check it out. Free resource. Okay. So we want to give very clear instructions. Don't get bogged down in the fact that it looks funky and weird. It does. If they're not, they're not talking down to your child. Obviously, though, if your child is at a much, you know, if somebody fully grasps English, then we're not going to say, you know, if we have the ability to talk to them. Uh, so it's knowing where we're starting teaching. Okay, uh, we want to reward attempts with the reward that they chose. So. We don't have. We don't expect perfection every time. This is, you know, in the in the world of um, ABA, they call this shaping. So we're going to start with, as I said, bubble. If you know, we're going to start with buh. We're going to reinforce it with the reinforcer that they want. They like a, a balloon that's blown up and let go, so it makes the fart noise. We're going to do that. They like the seaweed snack. We're going to give them a piece of seaweed snack, right? As long as it's healthy for them. Um, it's got to be the reward that they chose and we're going to reward attempts, but we are going to move goalposts as we go along. Uh, lots of opportunities to try. I know it's boring to us. That's the truth of it. It's boring to us how many trials somebody needs to get before the skill is theirs. We just want to get to the good part. We just want to get to the finish line. We just want to get to the part where your child can have the conversation. But it's all these little things that they have to learn along the way, and we have to give them lots of opportunity to get it. My son, when he regressed into autism, I used to say it was like he was a Velcro board, and then he would go to bed at night, and, and it became unsticky, and everything would fall off. And the reason why was because we weren't giving him enough opportunities. I had only, you know, been around my nieces and nephews who weren't on the spectrum. And so if we learned one, two, three, one day, then the next day we would go one, two, three, four, and we would just progress. And my son had been like that for a while. And then all of a sudden, you know, I would go one, two, three, four, and he didn't remember two. And I would go, what's happening? It's not sticking, and I panicked. And it, and it was simply because I needed to do it like 300 more times than I had done it with my nieces and nephews. But once I began to understand that, how many more opportunities it was going to take, that's what I fought for like a crazy woman. How many more opportunities does he need to get there? And this is the thing I talk about all the time. This is what is known as intensity. Because people will call me all the time and say, Shannon, what was the secret to your success? I'm going to tell you, it was all the things on here, but this one times seven. Give lots of opportunities to try. And, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, this is the one where people go, I, la, 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 not listening. Because it's time. And it feels hard. It feels like time is passing you by and the other kids are out doing all these things and your child is in a room trying these things over and over. But you ask me what worked, this is what I'm going to tell you. And this, by the way, it's not just me. All the studies that we point to for why ABA is effective is when it's done at enough of an intensity. So for my kid at three, that meant 40 hours of one-to-one therapy a week. I know, nobody wants to hear that. 
I didn't want to hear that. I was like, that's a full-time job. He's three. When does he get to play? But done right, if it's fair and it's fun, he played the whole time. He played the whole time. He didn't miss out on play. He missed out on going to Gymboree. You know, he wasn't at Gymboree. And he missed out on some time outdoors. That is true. Um, but later on, he had the ability to say what he needed to say, to express himself and do what he wants to do. It's a hard trade-off, but it's one that I stand by and always say to parents, this is, this is key here. And when people will say to me, well, 15 hours seems like enough, I, I go, well, I mean, you know, you know your child better than anybody else, but there's not a single study that shows for a three-year-old that 15 is an, hours is enough opportunity. Not a single one. Where there's thousands that say that 25 to 40, um, 25 being the low end, and that's kids who have exceptional skills. And at that point, my son didn't. So I went for the 40. Uh, my email, again, is shannon at autism-live.com. Anybody can email me. I try to get back to you as soon as I can. Shannon at autism-live.com. But, in, you know, opportunity is really what I'm talking about. But ABA is going to talk about intensity. It's the same thing. How many opportunities? As somebody who directed plays, if I go in and I have rehearsal and I have three rehearsals, the show is going to look one way. If I go in and I have 37 rehearsals, it's going to look an entirely different way. You can apply this to absolutely anything that there is. If I go to the gym, which I don't, clearly, but if I did and I go three times a week for half an hour, I'm basically going to maintain the shape that I'm in. That's just a reality. But if I start going an hour, four times a week, my body is going to change. And if I want to be G.I. Jane and be in a movie and be all ripped, I'm going to need to start going eight hours a day, seven days a week with a trainer who's going to stand there and go, do it this way, it's more effective. What do you want for your children? Do you want them to maintain where they are or do you want them to gain significant skills or do you want them to be ripped? and have skills to get them through the rest of your life. I wanted my kid to be ripped. We did lots, lots, lots of opportunity. He did 40 hours of ABA a week, plus every hour that he was just with us with no BT, we tried to make it educationally enriched. Did I always do it right? No, I didn't. I didn't. Nobody can. Nobody would. But we did as much as we could. I'll never be sorry about that. Okay. Uh, give immediate feedback. This is super important. I see parents do this all the time. I used to do this too, where the child will do something and the parent is busy making the sandwich because life, you know, you're at the stove, whatever. And we don't give that immediate feedback. And this is important because if I have a communication disorder, which is what autism says, I, you know, if I have that diagnosis, then I do, there is a chance that I won't associate the feedback you gave me with what happened. So it's got to be immediate. So, um, you got to get all up on that and, and praise immediately. I, I see parents all the time. They're like, oh, well, I'll praise them for that when we get home. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> you know, they're not going to associate it with that. It's got to be immediate. And the same is true if they didn't get it right, you know, because if, if I'm doing something and I keep doing it and I'm not getting the result that I want, um, I'm going to get frustrated, Right. Whereas if I do something and I get the answer wrong and you say to me, okay, try it this way, 
um, in a kind and gentle, non-judgmental way, then I get to attempt something else and maybe get to that reinforcer. We, we were doing an Oscar game last night where we were on an app and, and there were a bunch of us and the, it was pretty quick. It was pretty immediate that the winner would be announced and then we would get to see where we were in the leaderboard. Within like 30 seconds, I was pretty impressed. Um, but that was too long for some people. Some people were like, ah, you know, it says I'm still in seventh place and I should be in sixth place. I, I'm not looking at it anymore. I give up. 30 seconds. Make, give it immediate feedback. Uh, move those goalposts. I've been talking about this a lot about, you know, so if they, if they get something right and we see that they're getting it right, move that goalpost, but move it incrementally and make it just a little bit harder for them, but not a lot harder, just a little. And, and then you will see that they can do all kinds of things. Uh, number nine, practice in different circumstances. So this is also a part of that generalization thing that if, you know, if, if what we want is the skill to really be theirs, we have to practice it in different ways with different people. If, uh, and, and that's what gets us to that, if we're picturing when we're done with this skill, when and where will they be able to do it, it we should be saying they should be able to do it whether I'm there or not, whether it's at school or not, whether uh, it's raining or not right? Um, that they can do it in all kinds of, so we have to practice it and give opportunities in different circumstances. I always bring up the example of when my mom was teaching me how to drive, because when you're, what's the end goal? Not just to be able to drive around my block. The end goal is for me to be able to drive anywhere in the world, to understand the rules of the road enough to be able to drive on any highway, any roundabout, right? Any place at all in the world and not panic and go, I can't do it and take my hands off the wheel. So what did my mom do? She taught me and we rode on different roads and she would show me different things so that I could generalize it. Same thing with potty training. You know, we want them to be, we see kids all the time that can only pee or poop at home. This is not ideal for life. But if we know and in the beginning, say we want them to be able to pee and poop in what in a hotel, at grandma's house, in the airport bathroom, right? Um, then, which and all those bathrooms look different and have different mechanics, but they have same basics, right? But if we practice it in different circumstances, what we do is we create a wealth of experience that eventually we get to the point where we go, they've got it. They can now go into a bathroom that they've never been to before and they will know what to do because we've practiced it in many different circumstances. And I see that this is a piece that gets left out a lot when we're teaching something and it's to the detriment. Then we need to, it's kind of the rinse and repeat answer, right? Number 10 is keep rewarding with the reward of their choice. A lot of times I will see that, you know, if we don't understand the moving the goalpost thing, what happens is we get tired of rewarding. We get tired of it. We're like, well, they should have it by now, right? That's not really what the studies show is effective for teaching. If we keep rewarding and we keep asking them, what do you want to work for? And we keep moving the goalposts, then there's no end to the learning. Excuse me, but if we get tired and we say, oh, you know, didn't she have that yet? Come on. Like, how many times do I have to go over this? Then what we find is that a lot of times the skill will degrade and sometimes vanish. So this is the path that we're on. Now, are any of these things that we talked about today particularly hard? 
No, they're not. And I, I feel a lot of times that parents will say, well, I just, I just don't have the skill. I don't think that that's ever the thing. I think that you have the skill. It's learning how to apply what you know in a very fun way. Because I think you already know all of this stuff, but maybe you didn't think of it this way before because you're not an educator. And as educators, we're constantly thinking, okay, how can I get to this particular individual and get them excited? How can I ignite their, their heart and brain to be able to want to do this? Um, so don't berate yourself for that, but align yourself with people who do. Uh, who get that, whether it's the te your child's teacher or you have a consultant or you have a family member who is particularly good with this kind of stuff or you just hang out on Pinterest and suck information off of it from great teachers because it's there, right? It's all available to you. You don't have to be uh, an educational wizard to figure this stuff out. You don't. Um, and you have enough other stuff to do that I, I would ask you not to reinvent that wheel, but the information is there. It's there, available, and you can write in with specific things. You know, some of you guys wrote in specific examples, and hopefully I addressed that for you. But it, but it is a little bit of a, a problem-solving uh, thing, right? That if you go, okay... And honestly, that's what it was like for me as a teacher, whatever it was. There went later when I wasn't teaching anymore, I would go in and volunteer at my son's school and I would I would direct a, a play, the women in history play. And there was one year that I went into the classroom, it was always fourth grade class, and I went into the classroom and there was one little boy that everybody warned me, Oh, you're gonna have a time with him. He's gonna be difficult. And I, I sort of love those kids because for me, that's like, I want to crack the code. How, because this is a person and he's got a code just like I do. He's got things that he likes. He's got things that he wants to do. How do I find it? How do I get to the point? Because I know from previous teaching that when you crack the code with a kid, you, you're in a gold mine. And usually that kid is brilliant. That kid is just bored. So I, I went into this one classroom and this kid was all over the map. Um, and this was not a kid on the autism spectrum, but I'm saying we can apply the same thing to our kids. This kid was all over the map and he was up to mischief and, you know, 24-7. And instead of constantly dealing with his, all the things that he did that were not helpful, because that's available, right? But instead of doing that, I said... I immediately said, this, this is a kiddo that is bored and he needs a whole bunch of attention and he needs accolades and he hasn't been getting them. He gets punished, but that's attention too. So I said to him, what's your name? He tells me and I said, I think that you've got a lot on the ball here. I need a really good assistant. Would you like to be my assistant director? What? <laughs> like he was so completely unused to that. Um, and I said, I need you to be my assistant. So here's what you need to do to be my assistant. You got to stay by my side. And I'm going to be asking you questions on a regular basis and asking you if you can do, can you handle that? Would that be something that would be of interest? Yeah. I don't have to sit in the desk. This kid, his body was constantly moving. He needed to regulate and sitting wasn't going to do for him. So I, I would, you know, so now he's standing by my side and I would consult with him about everything. I would go, what do you think? You know, we, we need to do, what do you think? Should we do this or that? Giving him choices. Love that kid. To this day, I love that kid. And everybody said, I don't know what you did. I don't know what you did. But I applied these 10 things. And 
And then I, I, I applied those things whenever I could with our kid. And, and they're kind of <laughs> basis of all good teaching and the basis of ABA, if you think about it. So I hope that give yourself some patience, check out Pinterest, write to me and say, here's the skill I really want my child to learn. Here's where I think my child is. Um, and if you don't even know, you're like, I don't even know what, like you may not have known the pincer grasp and the tripod grasp, right? And if you don't know, how would you know? But if you write to me and say, here's the skill that we're dealing with. We got this 44 hour marathon and there's a couple of hours where I'm up all night, uh, where I need topics to talk about. So write to me, tell me, let's tear it apart. There are many, many things, uh, that you can use that go through. Here are the steps to teach this. Right. And, and once you know what it is you want to teach and you know these 10 tips and you know that progression and here's my child and here's, you know, it's going to be much easier. Uh, okay. We're way past time, but I adore you all. I want to thank you for being the amazing teachers, parents, advocates, uh, self-advocates and wonderful individuals that you are. I'm sending you big hugs. We're back tomorrow live with Dr. Grampy Shea in the studio. Uh, if you have questions, do we know what the topic, I, we haven't set the topic yet, uh, but write to us if you have questions in advance. You can always write to me, Shannon at autism-live.com. I care very deeply that you get to the resources that are available because I remember how frustrating it was to not know what was available. So we, we try to do our best here. All right, sending you hugs. I'll see you tomorrow. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now. 